Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Gold Podcast. I'm your host, Isabel O'Brien, assistant editor here at Gold, and I am once again happy to be joined by Jade Williams, our editorial executive. How are you doing today? Very good, thank you. Happy to be here, um, if not a bit frazzled from the rain earlier, which came down as a bit of a surprise. Yes, we did get rather caught on our walk to our favourite lunch spot, but we are now safe and dry inside the building. We're recording this on Friday, so anyone that's in London will know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, I've only just about dried off really, but happy to be inside. <laughs> Indeed. So Jade, what do we have coming up on today's episode? Well, for today's episode, I'm very excited to be presenting a discussion I had with Gaurav Singhani, MD and Principal Consultant at Closing Delta. And in this, we spoke about a whole host of things, including his move from retail to pharma, maximising the potential of modular content, the need for AI in the industry and so much more. Sounds great. Let's get into it. So as you mentioned, our guest today is Gaurav Sangani, who is the Managing Director and Principal Consultant at Closing Delta, a consulting firm for life sciences and healthcare organisations. Gaurav is a digital specialist and throughout his career he has spent time in local, regional and global roles for several of the top 20 pharma companies. That's right. He is incredibly interested in digital transformation and new technologies. So it comes as no surprise that this was something we dove into quite in depth within our conversation. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Gaurav. How are you doing today? Really good, Jade. How are you? Lovely. Very well, thank you. Happy to be talking to you again. So I will jump straight into my first question for you here today. And I wanted to find out what inspired your transition from retail into the pharmaceutical industry. I think everyone starts off with sort of a first job, right? And I started off in retail and I was there for about five years. They're sort of infamous Marks and Spencers. And I think it's a little bit of an initiation. Um, And it really helped me to sort of work out you know, how to sort of best service customers. So we, we had a lot of that. Um, I worked from the sort of shop floor, worked in foreign exchange, worked in ladies fashion, and really, you know, gathered a lot of experience working with a lot of people over that period of time. And then I moved into um, sort of fashion, uh, more sort of mainstay, which was which is quite interesting. Got to travel to like Paris and Milan and stuff. So that was quite cool. And then moved into sort of selling for Audi and then ended up at GSK in my sort of first farmer role. So in, in terms of what inspired it, I think it was just trying to experience lots of different things at that time. Um, and you know, then came a chance to work for you know, the biggest healthcare company there was at the time. And you know, suddenly it wasn't just about selling cars and tires and alloys and stuff. It was much more about helping uh, people and helping patients. So yeah, that sort of clicked with me. Nice. So it's two very specific and very different industries, I imagine. Indeed. So lots of <laughs> you don't get quite as many discounts working in the pharma, do you? Well, no, the, the, the discount thing was legendary. I mean, you, you could easily put on like 10 kilos a year at m because of the subsidized food, but no, it was, it was good. <laughs> So as someone now with experience of quite a few pharma companies, what would you say are the advantages of pharma companies producing modular content and how specifically could they effectively implement this strategy in their processes? Yeah, I think um, lots of pharma companies uh, are are definitely on this track now, right? And um, in in my sort of time at GSK, Novartis and Behringer, we've, we've seen that evolution as well. And modular content 
everybody talks about it and it, it is a sort of holy grail since I don't know what like 2008 where are we now um 2023 so it's it's just making sure that you know you have the content fit for purpose in the right place in the right channel at the right time and I think that hasn't changed I think what has changed however is um the ability to sort of have decision making within that content and I think that decision-driven content within a modular setting is the sort of next piece for Pharma to get right. Because traditionally, modular content's been built of things like personas and making sure that you know, you've got that content in that channel for that particular customer type. But again, that is still not granular enough to really provide that sort of personalized experience, which um, people crave. So it's, it's getting there. It's, it's not there yet. I think lots of companies are moving towards personalization. I think everyone's realizing now that, especially after COVID and being sent into our homes locked away, realizing just how personalized programs like Netflix, Amazon, everything is catered to make everything happen in the easiest way possible. And I think that's something that Pharma is now jumping on as well in terms of really personalizing experiences for both HCPs and patients. Yeah, I mean, Amazon's a great example, right? Because um, from, from Amazon's perspective, their customer is the center of everything they do. All their decision making is then sort of lent to how they can improve that customer experience. And I think we've spoken about this at multiple pharma companies as a case study as well. But the, the reality is, you know, if the patient is the center of everything pharma does, then it's very easy to align to that. So from from my perspective, I think it is possible in pharma. You know, there are some pockets of excellence and we do see that. However, translating that is is always been difficult. Mm, for sure. I mean, as controversial as figures like Jeffrey Bezos and Elon Musk are, I think they are doing something right. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, they're always going to be in controversy, right? But I, I remember a time, and this is how old I am, I think I remember a time when Amazon wasn't there and, you know, how they've sort of come up through through the ranks, if you like, from selling books to, to what they do. So it's, it's interesting um, how this marketplace phenomenon works and, you know, how they've sort of cottoned on to it i mean i I don't know if you're sort of old enough to remember things like when we had catalogs right so we had like little words and all this sort of catalogs and you'd sit there on you know on christmas day working out what you wanted and then you'd write down the you know codes and and send it in that world's gone almost right because amazon's sort of um evolved beyond all of that and suddenly you know they have that hyper personalization stuff down to a t but they've invested over a long term. And yes, they're, they're controversial, but then they they also are a massive organization with huge, you know, sort of um, levels of hierarchy, I imagine, for, for the different elements to, to get it right all the time. So, yeah. Mm, absolutely. But yes, I do remember sitting down as a child, sort of circling every single page on the Argos catalog, thinking, <laughs> oh, I'll get that, definitely. I, 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 I still do the Argos <laughs> website, if that, if, if that helps. You know, <laughs> that, for Argos. That yeah. Oh, totally. I, I'm, I'm one of those. Like, it's in the technology sale on now. Um, I'm, I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> so moving on now sort of from uh, the physical elements of strategy into budgets. Obviously, this is something that's been a little bit contentious recently. Pharma companies have ex- been experiencing quite a few constraints recently. And with things being brought into government, specifically by the UK, such as the VPAS rebate, a lot of questions are being had around why should this money be being channeled into the UK, for example, when we could get higher profits somewhere else. So how would you suggest pharma companies get the most out of their budgets, given these constraints that are being experienced currently? 
Yeah, I, I think it's it's incredibly tough time, right? And um, you know, my my wife works for the NHS, and she recently went to um, one of the hospitals, and they had picket lines outside it. It's, it's like nothing we've ever seen. Um, however, you know, th- those things are real. Um, there are junior doctors who are on like fourteen pounds an hour or whatever it is, and without getting too sort of political about it, there is an atmosphere right now, um, sort of post COVID, you know, high inflation and with all the things going on that it does feel that there's a bit of a raid on the coffers um, of of pharma, certainly with VPAS. So I think, you know, there's got to be a balance between what's being said um, and also the the reality of what, you know, life sciences sector, not just pharma, contributes to to the economy. And I think that's a a much bigger discussion, Um, especially when you look at things like R&D, you know, and um, what we we are probably, what, number one in the world um, when when it comes to that. So from that perspective, I think, Every government should look to protect that um, and make sure that we've got that. However, in terms of pharma budgets themselves, they're impacted by the market because a lot of these companies are on the share market. Now, if the share markets are sort of coming down, you can imagine that their EPS ratios on their shares are also going down. And therefore, they're having to find cost savings across the board, whether that's letting people go, unfortunately, or finding cuts in, you know, in, in their budgets and their marketing spend, etc. So... I think it's a new reality that we're all sort of living with. And I can tell you sort of firsthand, that's what we've seen. The latest research on the procurement reports that we've got here in front of us as well tells us that the average drop is between 10 and 30% in terms of budget. So everyone's sort of trying to box a little bit smarter. But I can tell you a few tips on how to get sort of more out of your budget. So the, the first thing is don't chuck the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. If there is content that's been working for you, in the last few years, it is not necessarily not going to work for you this year. You know, repurposing is a big, big part of what um, we need to look to do. We need to build capabilities in-house for some of the stuff that agencies and consultancies have traditionally done. I think that's another route. But then there's also using technology to start, you know, getting smarter with things like automation um, and making, making things available. Because what I've seen traditionally over the sort of last two decades almost is that pharma is, you know, very much um, about following the brand plan and the global brand strategy and, you know, and what we can do. So there's nothing that's going to come massively left field out of that. So planning it with the right use of technology, understanding what other pharma companies are doing uh, across the board also helps. So, you know, we're lucky enough to be able to work with some of the big farmers, some of the medium farmers and some of the sort of really, really inspiring biotechs. So I think we see how a nimble organization deals with a smaller budget and how a big farmer, you know, gets upset when it's given a slightly smaller budget to do what it needs to do. So sometimes it's just perspective, um, but other times, obviously, there's a harsh reality of how they need to need to manage it. Of course, yeah. You mentioned the appropriate use of technology there, which leads me seamlessly into my next question for you, which is all around artificial intelligence in the industry. Obviously, it's got to be said, ChatGPT, it's taken the world by storm, and I don't think you can go a day without seeing it mentioned on the internet, certainly not on my feeds anywhere. Um, So I wanted to ask, in your opinion, what do you think the pros and cons of implementing AI is within the pharma industry? I think it's just... You know, everybody talks about it. Um, and I think AI has been around for a little while, right? Um, it's just that we haven't massively seen it explode like ChatGPT has. Um, I mean, if you ever want to see a marketing case study, this and anything from Ryan Reynolds is pretty much it. You know, the fastest growing uh, technology use um, ever. 
Yeah. And I think when you put it into context, it's it's unbelievable. I've used ChatGPT. I think it's really, really good. The way I look at it is almost like a second brain. It's for things that I can't remember that happened 10, 15 years ago, but I want that finite detail, right? Um, I did a post recently on Sri Lanka, could not remember the name or the occupation of the dancer who was with you know in, in that post. And literally, ChatGPT will pull that out. Yeah. So there is incredible value um, in something like that. What people also don't understand, it's, it's multimodal prompted. So therefore, you don't just ask one question, you ask it multiple questions, and it refines it a little bit like a funnel, right? So that that's the bit that I think pharma could get very clever at. I think the other pieces, when it starts getting integrated into the applications, you know, daily and you use daily, so Microsoft Office, um, you know, Bing AI, all of this sort of stuff um, is, is then going to become sort of second nature. And Google 48 hours ago launched, I think, Bard. Now, Bard is the competitor in, in terms of chat GPT. So we're just at the very sort of cusp of the GPT technologies and what it can do. Um, and it's a multi-year, multi-billion dollar deal that's been signed. So Microsoft is not silly. They know what they're doing. And, you know, they're just trying to get as many users. You know how you buy your mobile phone? Like, now I'm going to split the audience, right? It's going to be Apple or it's going to be like a, an Android device. Now, on those two things, you know that you look forward to Apple 12, 13, 14, 15, whatever it is. And then the same for Samsung with 22, 23 plus, etc. I can see a world where ChatGPT does that. And every year something new is coming out and every year it's something, you know, and and I think that's that's the way it's going to learn and it's growing. I think the big one that looks really interesting is MedPalm and MedPalm is the one that should excite us, um, especially in the life sciences industry, because it's obviously built for that. Um, so from, from from that perspective, there is lots and lots of stuff coming. I mean, I read in The Lancet this morning as well that, uh, you know, they're using it for making patient letters. Um, and patient letters with almost 19, 99% accuracy, right? So once you've finished with the doctor and they have to write that you know, fancy letter out, well, if AI can do that. And then Bill Gates mentioned um, a couple of days ago as well that he sees AI as essentially like a, a free, I think he said, uh, labor in, in terms of um, somebody who's like an intern, you know, where you can ask them to do some of the more basic tasks and how that could be like a white collar worker, essentially. So I think everybody's getting scared a little bit. And that's because even the founders don't really know the extent of the technology and the uses. But then I look at things like stable diffusion. I look at mid journey. I look at everything across the board. ChatGPT is just scratching the sides of it, right? Like it is coming in a really big way. Definitely. I think it's just as the most open access version of this. I remember when Midjourney first started making the news as well. I tried playing about with that, but it was quite hard to access. Like I had to download Discord and get into this thing, whereas ChatGPT was just click this link. Here it is. You can do anything you so wish if you want content from 2021 and beyond. <laughs> That's what you can access. So yeah, I think. And, and it's, it's a pro stuff as well. I mean, like here's, here's a tip. Like, so for example, you wanted ChatGPT to run i don't know the sort of top 10 medicines that were sold in the last you know 10 years and then you'd want to work out um in which markets that they did it you know what was the share price at the time of those uh, companies how much did they you know invest as part of their percentage of their r d revenue all of these sort of things you could do if it was available in the public domain and i think that's the scary part when you start of multimodaling 
the chat GPT and it can start, you know, inserting all of those things into Excel sheets. It can run that. It can do the forecasting. And, um, you know, someone used it to basically build um, like a quasi virtual hedge fund in about 30 seconds. Uh, Yesterday, somebody used it to build a brand new language, um, which essentially could be used as a WordPress plugin. (laughs) And it's it's just unreal. And I think coding is the big area um, where I see this this technology being used um, as well. So lots and lots of applications for it. there is a brilliant video. If you haven't seen it, I really urge your listeners as well to go see it. It's the open AI video where they draw something on a piece of paper, scan it, ask it to convert it to HTML and preview it. And you've built a website from essentially what you would have written out on the back of a serviette. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, so, so this is how, this is what I'm talking about, right? Like once people get their heads around it, I see a real shift in the way that the technology will start to be used. Oh, absolutely. So then, in your opinion, how do you think bringing that back to more centric farmer, how do you think that would facilitate and accelerate digital transformation in the industry? I think that, you know, we, we always talk about digital transformation. For me, it's like four sorts of um, key areas, right, in, in terms of transformation. So, so the first is always you get that sort of startup mentality. You know, you want to get a channel out there. You want to get content. You want to get the platform working. You've got to get some KPIs against it, et cetera. Then you sort of go into the sort of maintenance phase. Then you go into the sort of proliferation phase from there. So you start scaling that across the board. And then something else comes over or adds to it and you start that cycle again. So from from my perspective, it's about integrating this where it makes sense. Um, You know, traditionally, pharma loves to, you know, um, work out all the permutations before they do something. And rightly so. Right. But I think there are lots and lots of examples of where you could do test and learn. And, you know, really start using this. Uh, Established medicines is a a great example of an area where it could be used. Right. So there are lots and lots of things. Patient uh, material. So this is a real like passion of mine. Okay. So patient material is a key piece. However, when we look at it, it's always in international English. Now, when we hand it over to countries, they sit there and they translate it. They might use a translation service, you know, on, on a native basis. But imagine just being able to click a button and convert it into that language and make it available to the patients who don't understand English as their first language. And that is, you know, in in the UK, for example, that is key as well. So I think that's where I see the sort of straight applications, test and learn, execute, you know, learn very, very quickly, don't make obviously the same mistakes. And I think the codes as well need to allow for a level of flexibility, as long as you're not promoting to the public, and you're not doing anything crazy, uh, that you're not meant to, uh, as part of the code. Um, I think it's important to allow people to have a safe space to be able to experiment using this technology. And I think there needs to be an education. I think there could actually be a course, um, you know, university led, however you want to do it, where people look at this uh, and, and they go, right, this is the technology. What does the future of pharma look like using this technology? So, for example, protein synthesis. Yeah, you can see that something like this could um, work through, you know, mathematical models of what proteins have worked historically and what disease states and we could get to a much better outcome for rare diseases uh, for example so there is huge opportunity but someone's got to grasp it someone's got to take it and i think it's uh, it's it's easier to include it as part of what you're doing as opposed to try and do it just by itself and i think that's that's where you will see success 
very interesting take. Hopefully we can see some more of that. It would definitely be interesting to see a university course around it. Very interesting. Um, sort of coming back to your own personal career again, obviously you're a member of the PM Society. <laughs> could you tell us a bit more about your involvement with the Society? And also if you could share a particularly memorable moment during your membership? Yeah, I think um, I've been part of the PM Society for around seven years um, and, you know, always sort of welcomed in. I I made it a thing when I was on client side to actually go and say, look, I want to be part of this, right? I want to I want to be part of this like cool team, right? You, you, you guys do cool stuff. So I think that was, you know, put your hand up, get involved. What we've seen in the last seven years is lots and lots of different varieties um, of sort of people get involved and across the board, it's now a really sort of solid uh, foundation. Not only that, we see the best in class and I'm lucky enough to be one of the judges and I get to judge what's coming through um, in terms of creative output as well from the industry. So all in all, it's a really sort of holistic society and it works really well on that front. In terms of um, getting involved, obviously, you know, just reach out to um, Lorna, Rachel, whoever at the um, PM Society journey um, and they'll make sure that that happens and they'll explain to you the sort of value benefits. They also run, you know, a series of courses as well uh, for somebody who's new to the industry or even people who've been established who wants to sort of sharpen their knowledge uh, in certain areas. But the big memorable piece recently was, I don't know if you saw this, right? Tell me if you did. But um, last December, everybody within the like digital interest group decided to put on their Christmas jumpers and essentially just take the mick out of Omnichannel, right? As in, like, what is Omnichannel? Because it's so many different things to so many different people. Um, and not a single person came up with the same response as to, you know, universally what it is, um, to the point where I won't name the pharma company. I could, but I won't. Um, you know, they said, please do not use the word omnichannel next time we have a chat. Because because for, for, for them, it's like it's it's multi-channel would be really good for them to get to at this moment in time. And I'm like, fair enough. Right. So um, one, one of the bits is like if you're kind of not great in one channel, you're not going to be great in multiple channels. And guess what? You're not going to be that great in omnichannel. Okay. So it's 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 that I think um, that was one of the sort of memorable moments. And it was it was just a whole Christmas jumper clip. But it, it's such a, um, a brilliant watch. And I think for, for me, that's that's the piece. Like we get a lot of buzzwords in the industry, but the reality has always been the same thing. Yeah, it's literally right place, you know, right time, right content, right format, you know, delivered in the right way. And that's it. Like you don't expect anything different when Amazon delivers it. We don't expect anything different. So that consistency approach is so important. And um, I think we're getting better. As farmer, I've certainly seen that get better over the number of years, right? So what's what's interesting is we still chase the shiny blingy thing, right? Whether it's chat GPT, like I saw a job recently being advertised just on um, LinkedIn and they said, right, it needs to have like 10 years experience in conversational AI. <laughs> right? And and I was really tempted to write back to the job poster and say, really? <laughs> First and foremost, it hasn't been around in, in that sense uh, for, for farmer um, use for 10 years. And it's it's interesting. But I want you to um, have a look at Duolingo. Okay, so Duolingo is one of my sort of favorite things in, in, in the past time. They've integrated this AI to make uh, the language learning process that they have even you know simpler and better and easier and more sort of hyper-personalized. I'd love to see Pharma go down that sort of route, you know, um, and ed tech's a big space. You're going to see this in um, 
as well. So in in, in sort of really long-winded answer, <laughs> uh, PM Society, lots of events. Uh, we've just had the PM Society 2023 uh, awards at the Groves, and that was fantastic. Uh, lots of pictures and videos to come out of that Um I'm sure edited, uh, but you know it was it was a great night, and uh, we we did really um, some sort of you know we saw some fantastic um, entries as well all the way throughout the process and on the night. So yeah, everyone's a big part of this community. Please come join. Um, and obviously, if you've got any questions, if there's anything that you feel, oh my god, you know, I'd love to get Garef's take on it or whatever, just just ping me on 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 the DMs, right? As as they joke, you could slide into the DMs and yeah, ask the questions. It's all good. Um, but outside of that, no, I think it's going to be a very interesting year because we've seen, you know, budgets uh, not slashed, but certainly dropped. Um, but we've also seen uh, a real want from pharma to bring stuff in-house. And I think it's going to be very interesting, uh, especially with the announcement from Accenture yesterday as well. I think there's lots and lots of things going to start changing in the next six months. So watch the space. Absolutely. It's very high traffic space happening at the moment. Um, I did see your Christmas jumper video, by the way. Loved it. Love you guys not taking yourselves too seriously. (laughs) Before we go, I do want to ask, will you be donning some bunny ears for an Easter video? Do you know what? I I absolutely should. Um, And as Peter Rabbit is like one of my heroes um, here, uh, you know, well, I've I've got two little ones, right? So, um, yeah, it's it's, it's a real thing. And um, we actually went to Peter Rabbit World. uh, So if you ever want to go, it's Junction 22 on the M25, uh, just outside of St. Albans. And uh, everyone's going to love it. And they give you free Easter eggs. So you can't. What more could you ask for? (laughs) <laughs> all right it's been wonderful to talk to you today Gaurav. thank you for coming absolute pleasure thanks a lot joe really really enjoyed it thank you well what an interesting interview it was great to hear from Gaurav, um but i would also like to hear from you what was a key takeaway that you had from the conversation well i did enjoy talking to Gaurav, and i found it really interesting when he mentioned that companies shouldn't chuck the baby out with the bath water which is a phrase i hadn't heard before <laughs> i was wondering if you were going to be honest about that <laughs> of course <laughs> did a bit of googling there but yes when it comes to transformation repurposing and recycling content can be hugely beneficial when budgets are proving tight and it's just a great way to stay nimble as he put it Indeed, I definitely agree with you. Sometimes the simplest solutions can be the most effective. I think we all know that from the life hacks that we see on TikTok, just like the one you showed me today, actually, around walnuts and wooden floors. Honestly, magical. If you don't know what we're talking about, do look it up. But sadly, that is all we have time for in this episode. Thank you again to Gaurav for coming on the show and thank you to you for listening. Yes, and do be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on our next episode. Until then, it's goodbye from us. See you next time.